I, I lived in a place uh, called Volsky, and it's right outside of Volgograd, which is Stalingrad, and it's a, about 45 minutes out from there. And I took a, I took a, I would take a bus out to this place called Kapustin Yar. And Kapustin Yar, if, if you've heard the word kapusta, um, uh, that means cabbage in, in Russian. It, it literally means cabbage pit. That's what, it, that's what the town's name is. And so I pull up in this bus and we get out and it looks like, so have you ever seen Borat, the first Borat? Yeah. So the village that like where they shot Borat, where it's, if you remember, it's like kind of like the little huts that are all next to each other and things like that. It was worse than that. Where smaller huts, um, all dirt floors. Um, I mean, really how they live in, in Kazakhstan and, and so many other places, that's, um, that's how it looks, and that's how it looks in Kapustin Yar. And nobody has running water. Nobody has heat. They don't even have bathrooms. Everything everyone uses outhouses. And this is in this is in Russia, you know. And so for me, it was like, and this isn't like a small encampment. This was like a city. This was a city that literally hadn't looks like it hadn't been touched, you know, since the early 1900s for the most part. And very, very, very scary. Very strange, you know. Very strange to be in a place like that. I just remember looking around and and going like I could get killed here and no one would ever know no one would would ever know like how would they ever know you know what I mean they would like how would they ever track me down like I took like some random bus in the middle of nowhere and Kapustin Yar they just throw me in the cabbage bed I'd be dead Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck, Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am your host, Joe Mobley. If we're meeting for the first time, thank you for coming in uh, to chat with us this evening. If you are watching on YouTube, we've got some news for you. If you're watching or listening anywhere else, less news for you. So if we're just meeting for the first time, this is where we talk about being an uncloseted conservative, which I define as sharing your thoughts, your opinions, and your beliefs, no matter the situation, the circumstance, or the consequence. So if that's you, glad to have you. If you're still in the closet, welcome. We'll get you out. So awesome guest for you guys tonight. Awesome announcements for you guys tonight. And we're just going to hang out and do what we do. All right, YouTube viewer. You've seen it in the title, you've seen it in the announcements, you heard it if you watched or listened last week. This is my last YouTube episode. Nothing against YouTube, well, actually something against YouTube, you guys suck, Uh, but 
I'm just going to let you have your sandbox. You know, Steven Crowder's willing to hang out and stay in it. And the, the guys at the blaze and the daily wire, you know, I just, it, it's, it's an irreconcilable difference for me. I, I can't do it anymore. And that's all the airtime I'm going to give it. Uh, so while I'm putting my money where my mouth is, I'm trying to uh, separate from big tech. I'm trying to separate from Google and all of that guys. I'm, I'm bringing you all the tools that I use. So one, Use Brave. If you're not using Brave, there's something seriously wrong with you because not only is it the privacy-minded browser, it's also just the fastest, and that's just benchmark, you know, geek tech. If you're that IT guy, you know, you don't have to be told. This is just the fastest browser uh, with the most connectors and things like that. Use Brave, use DuckDuckGo, and type in the DuckDuckGo secondvote.com. So go to secondvote.com and find out where your dollar is going to support at the end. Because when you get it from your work and you give it to the vendor, that is not where it ends. That vendor, that service provider, that company, that social media app, they use that dollar and send it forward onto somewhere else. Just like you are philanthropic and you give to organizations that you support. Um, I went on and typed in vehicle. So it tells me that Lexus is super, super liberal. Um, now, to Lexus's credit, for the one-issue voters out there, it says that they're neutral on pro-life. I'd like to see a green there, but whatever. But you can just see anti-American, anti-Second or second Amendment, anti-this, anti-that. Uh, Tesla, not doing too shabby. Not I'm not going to lie. But anyway, secondvote.com, guys, that's where you need to go to find out what happens to your dollar. So tonight, our guest is actually works with the organization that introduced me to Second Vote. Uh, so I just realized that right now. Don't know why I didn't realize that before. But oh, let's get on the right screen. We've got Tyler Boyer from Turning Point USA. Tyler, how are you? Hey, Joe, what's up? It's good to be here. It is good to be here because it's the last moments on YouTube. Like, I feel like we could say, like, rapid fire things to just get the YouTube shut off immediately. And then we'd just be on Rumble and, you know, kind of the. That was my I got excited. I thought you said YouTube was shutting down everywhere. And so I got really excited about that. But we'll we'll take what we can get with, with you exiting YouTube and. You know, every it's it's everybody's you know a little bit from everywhere. You know, just shuts them down. So it's a good thing. All right. So Tyler Boyer, for everyone who doesn't know, um, is a great American. I feel I feel like we're getting older, man. I don't like it. I, I'm a millennial too. But anyway, uh, he, he's a young guy, young, vivacious American. He's the COO of Turning Point USA. He's fully out of the closet. Uh, and that's not out of the closet Republican, guys. It's out of the closet conservative, okay? An uncloseted conservative, a patriot, a constitutionalist, uh, and just someone that I really wanted to have a chat with. Uh, so Tyler, tell us, you know, tell us who you are, what you do, and, and we'll be off to the races. Yeah, I mean, thanks. I, uh, you know, I, my story's kind of crazy long. Um, I started actually with my activism in college. So I became college Republican president basically overnight. Um, I showed up to college Republicans at my, at my university, at Arizona State University. We had like 80,000 kids. And I showed up and there was like 10 kids at the club, like maybe like 15. And so like the next day they made me college Republican president. And what happened was I, I 
started getting more involved and I realized that, you know, there wasn't a lot of activism being done on campus uh, for conservatives. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit that there wasn't really a great organization that existed. And so it wasn't too much longer after that. Um, I kind of took a few deviations. The uh, governor actually appointed me to serve on the board of regents since I was student regent. But, you know, I came to this conclusion that there wasn't enough happening for, for good conservatives on campus. And that's when I kind of sought out you know, who was doing what, and that's when I became introduced with Charlie and Charlie Kirk and, and what, what he was doing in Illinois. And, you know, I went to him, I was like, hey, that, is there any way, you know, I can help and be helpful because what you're trying to do is, is really impactful. And kind of put it into perspective at the time, you know, there wasn't very many organizations that existed, existed for young Republicans and young conservatives. And the few that did exist, they kind of just, they weren't doing the job very well. And so, uh, you know, we, I, I went out, I flew out to Chicago. It was about this time of year and it was like negative 10 degrees outside. And I went and met up with Charlie and I found out he was the real deal. It was like an actual like golden hearted guy. And you know, he was a few years younger than me. And so I was really impressed with his work ethic and that he wasn't trying to do what he was doing for money, which is like what most people do in politics. And so I joined up with him and we talked and I, I, I figured out that, you know, Turning Point USA needed to be, you know, where I lived in Arizona, much less all across the West. And so I helped try and try to build out with the team what Turning Point USA would become in the West Coast. And from there, just kind of kind of worked uh, to help build it. And then we've started developing other programs, which we can talk about. And, you know, became COO, I think it was 2016. Um, summer of 2000, no, maybe it's 2015. It's been a long time. No, it had to have been 16, 15, somewhere there. Anyways, it's been a while. And, uh, yeah, I'm the longest tenured employee at Turning Point USA. And, and that really folded into my community activism, which is, you know, I was very involved at a young age, uh, with the Republican party locally. And I was like the only young guy that was at tea party meetings. And, and so a lot of the old folks were like, like really loved me and, they embraced me and they mentored me and and I thought that was really cool and that helped also with with how we started constructing things at Turning Point, which allowed us to like really focus on you know what does community organi- organization and, and what does activism really look like for the center right movement. And I'll tell you when we first got to it, it was really ugly, uh, but we worked and and got in got in and got in deep and just, just went to work building and now yeah we're we're pleased and happy to see that. Turning Point USA has become really one of the largest activism groups, not on not just on the right, but on the left or the right in all of America. So, so obviously, I've listened to a lot of your public speaking, and like I, I get it. Activism is like it's a whole thing. I never would have thought that I would have been a political activist, but here we are. I'm one of the mad dads in Loudoun County. Or, uh, well, I, I've, I've arrived because I got my first Media Matter smear and they apparently spread the lie that I'm a professional activist, which is totally not true. I got a job. I got four kids. I got a wife to try and take care of. Like, hey, anyway. We'll, we'll hire you as a professional activist over here. That's what we do, right? So, like, I love it. That's great. That's great. I mean, I, I, it, you know. <laughs> job doing that let us know so <laughs> all right this is a virginia verbal contracts are binding so no <laughs> so 
Turning point. You, I've, I've heard you talk about the group a lot. So there's the education piece. There's the activism piece. But really, one of the things where the rubber meets the road, and this is where we, you know, what I, well, I work for uh, HSP Direct, so we raise funds for conservative causes and clients. We are also hiring. So if you're out there, you're that uncloseted conservative with nowhere to go and you're not trying to get poked in the butt with 50,000 vaccines, call me, call uh, Tyler, call someone. Just uh, <laughs> Anyway, activating mechanisms. Talk to us about, I, I heard you say something somewhere, I forget who you were speaking to, uh, but just the importance of activating people. And it's it's... It's easy to do. One of the things you guys can do is go literally go to turning uh, tpusa.com and hit get involved. Boom. That's that's all you need to do. But talk to us about that that I know the activating mechanism is so important. There is the education, there's the activism, there's the grassroots spreading throughout the country, but how you guys are some of the best in the game of activating people that are on the bench, on the sidelines, watching the game happen and saying, hey, get in the game. So talk to us about why that's important, how you guys have been, you've been killing it. You you know that you have. I'll do the humble brag for you. You guys have been killing it in activating these resources that are out there, but they're in the closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> so this is what the left has done really well for decades, which is they've been able to take culture and pop culture and regular life, right? Like real life stuff and make it like accessible to people or access people via those channels to basically introduce them to politics and into the, into the leftist mainstream. And so for us, um, how we look at it is look, you know, a lot of people like they look at turning point USA and they go, Oh man, it's so simple. It's so basic. It's, you know, I don't really get it. Uh, like, why aren't they talking about deep issues like tax policy and things like that? Like, there, guys, we have plenty of think tanks out there. In fact, there's about one think tank for every state that's a conservative think tank where all they do is write white papers and deep, you know, deep discussion. The place where the conservative movement has really failed for years and years and years is having that entry point funnel for regular people. And by the way, most conversations that you and I have uh, out in the world are pretty basic conversations. They're not, I mean, most of what America talks about, I mean, there's a reason why MTV and E! News and um, talk radio and even cable news, like really we think in like three minute segments and it's like a lot of trash TV and it's a lot of, you know, really basic, simple stuff. And so our entire goal is we come into everything that we do with, we want to invite people to the movement, maybe for the first time ever. And so some of that is really building blocks, ABC stuff. And that's what I say all the time to people is, you know, we're not focused on the LMNOPs of conservative politics. We're focused on ABCs, meaning what are the basic, basic entry point stuff. And then, yeah. And then from there, they can do community activism. They can get involved locally. They can get involved with other organizations that are going to move them along. Like, you know, campaign for people and become civically involved and things like that. But the game is, is like, look, we need a lot more Turning Point USAs. We're not the only game that's out there. and We shouldn't be. Uh, there should be 50 of us out there. And this is what, the, again, the left does really well. They talk, they go into communities and they focus on communities. Ours is the youth community. And that's where we focus. But uh, we're growing. We've grown beyond, you know, I think just 18 to 24 year olds. 
And our goal is to continue to grow that for the movement and encourage and spin off things that um, allow people to, again, start reaching new people and new communities uh, earlier at an earlier time. Uh, the one thing I would say is this, is I think that we've done really well, is that the left had this, this understanding or impression that they would just be running roughshod over us for the next 10 years. Um, and I'm an old millennial, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm old, I'm an old millennial, so, but I'm a, I'm a millennial, you know, and my parents are Gen Xers, they're old Gen Xers, uh, but Gen X was really lazy and did very little because they were yuppies. I mean, they, they had a, they had it really easy. They got these awesome jobs in the eighties. I mean, think about like coming into your life in the eighties when like everything was like awesome. Like it really was great. And then the nineties happened and the dot-com boom happened and there was just like money everywhere. And your worst Democrat were, you know, very moderate Southern Democrats. And then all of a sudden, you know, our generation, now we're fighting communists. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a repeat of the sixties in a lot of ways, but we have now a generation of millennials who a lot of them, the, the hipster culture um, really delayed their lifestyles, like hippies delayed their lifestyles in the 60s. And so now I have friends who, I have a 12-year-old, you know, um, and I have a 7-year-old and I have a 1-year-old, and but a lot of my friends are just barely starting to have babies, and now they're starting to realize, like, oh, shit, I'm actually a conservative, and I have a lot more conservative philosophy than I thought. And it's because I have kids now, and I have to go to church, and I have to do, I have to do stuff, right? Like, I have to take over my dad's business, and, like, I have to grow up. And, and so... In a lot of ways, I think things are starting to convert a lot, but that's why it's so important to have organizations like ours where it's like we're introducing people to conservative principles, maybe for the first time ever. And it might the first time for them might be they're 35, right? They're 30, they're 32, they're 31. And that's okay. And like that's like that's exactly what happened in the 80s. Yeah, that's you hit on so many things. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull on one of the threads you mentioned. I don't remember if you said socialism or Marxism, but that's the game, guys. That's what's at stake. Uh, there are those of us who have seen the Orwellian writing on the wall for decades, for years. I, I too, I don't like to feel old in any way, but I'm an older millennial, I guess. Uh, but how old are you? Yeah, I'm 33. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I've got a few. I've got a few years on you, but yeah, we're the we're the archaic now millennials. Yeah. Well, the thing is, we work in young culture. Like uh, our workplaces, I imagine what your workplace is like. A lot of 22 to 27-year-olds, very fresh-faced, uh, you know, right out of college or uh, right out of uh, – <laughs> I heard you speak about the RNC too. We, we get a lot of people from the RNC, uh, which is uh, – yeah, we'll, we'll save that for later in the interview. Uh but Marxism, so you you did your mission in Russia. Um, obviously, you know, the Russia when you went was different than, you know, Russia, USSR that our parents kind of experienced, you know, hiding under desks and all that jazz. Talk to us about getting people to wake up to the reality that these things like CRT, these things like uh qualified justice, so social justice, racial justice, or, you know, fill in the blank justice, all of these things that, like, come on, if someone had a crystal ball, it was George Orwell. Like, 
he missed the year. It wasn't 1984, but everything, the memory holding, the devil think, all of these crazy things, this this ridiculous government-infused media apparatus um, that is just, it's just entertainment spin. I, I feel like they're hiring like directors and producers from Hollywood to just help them craft narratives. Talk to us about the dangers of Marxism real marxism that that just because that's where socialism goes guys that's where communism goes these are vessels funneling into marxism uh, i don't want to steal your thunder but talk to us about that and specifically if you if you guys have had success in getting people to get it like this is where this is going how are you doing that i know prager is doing it i know you guys are doing it and one day people will be like the Joe Mobley show. They just they just get people to just wake up to it. Uh, so talk to us about that. Yeah, look, I mean, I so you mentioned I so I, that's kind of how I got into politics was I went on my mission to Russia, a mission trip to Russia, um, mainly just, you know, taught free English classes and did service while I was there because, you know, believe it or not, Putin doesn't love people. You know, spreading the good word over there and doesn't love Americans just walking around just converting people to American you know philosophy and so uh, so I, I, I but I, while I was there I saw some really incredible awful stuff like it was it was sad and scary and I came back from that you know that experience and I, I'm an American I'm, I'm like a uh, I'm a seventh generation Arizona and I think I'm like something like a 16th or 22nd generation American and the family came over on Mayflower era. And so uh, came from, came into Boston and moved to upstate New York and then, and then came across the plains and helped found Arizona. Uh, but I, I mean, I'll tell you is uh, we live in a very blessed society and I didn't realize that until I spent an extended amount of time in Eastern Europe. And I, I mean, we could talk for hours about the, horrible, horrible things I dealt with. Um, everything from mafioso kidnappings to pulling dead people off the street to seeing little kids drinking at, you know, five, six, seven years old from vodka vendors on the street. And I mean, just really scary, terrible stuff, uh, standing in line for food, empty shelves, stuff like that. I mean, this was, you know, 12 years ago, but, you know, I came back from that going, wow, that, so that's Marxism. Like that's the effect of Marxism and how awful it was that was there. And, and so that's how I got involved. Right. And, you know, Russia, I mean, this is the battle that we're up against is that, you know, the Marxism, the Marxist Leninism that is taught um, in our colleges is it's a, it's not the Marxist Leninism in practice. Uh, the Marxism in practice is authoritarian in nature. And it always ends in, in an authoritarian nightmare because that's because that's what it's um, susceptible to. And if you've ever read a book, my favorite book that I tell people to read all the time, if you're if you're interested in in this concept, is The First Circle by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And if you haven't spent any time with Solzhenitsyn, um, you probably read or remember reading the Gulag Archipelago in high school or something like that. But in the First Circle. It's called that because it's, it's it's referring to Dante's Inferno. And Dante's Inferno, there's the rings of hell, right? And, you know, the first ring of hell, is like, it's like you're, you're stuck in, um, like, kind of like this this in-between land, right? Like, it, it's, as Catholics 
refer to it in, in Catholicism, just you talk about just being trapped in um, in limbo, right? Is it this kind of your world is you're kind of trapped in limbo in this communism because there's there's there there's still two types of there's two there's still the haves and have nots even in communist society. There is no idealist uh, utopia that exists in an actual in practice, uh, no matter what they say. And so um, when you come to that realization, when you're actually a, a victim of communism, uh, which is everyone that is in a communist regime, you start to, to realize very quickly that, um, that hey, freedom is probably a, a better way to go. And so that's kind of the cool thing is that's my background is even when I got started, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think people ever thought that communist in practice we would see in America so quickly. And that's truly what we're up against at this point. We're up against people who want to implement Marxism. They're using Marxist tactics, um, you know, for fluffy, fluffy communism to be implemented, socialism to be implemented. Uh, but we know how it ends every time. So, But that's not real socialism that's not real it, it's it's ridiculous and well, have- that's the crazy part you know is that you know i've seen the effects of real socialism and now and you know russia today is still very much a socialist country and not a lot of people realize this is i mean look what's happening right now with russia and ukraine not to get into like these geopolitical conversations but the thing that for people to understand because i think when people think of russia they think oh it's like a very well-developed country right moscow is like one of the richest countries and it's a very well-developed country and it's just like america but they just speak russian and it's like you you know of course it's cold over there and you know there's bears running on the streets or whatever but that's what people think you know when you yeah. go there that's, you, that's fake news that's what they want you to think uh, you go there i mean i'm telling you uh, it, it i remember going to a hospital i was in southwestern russia so it was everything south of stalingrad which is volgograd today um and i lived in rostov not the new where you know that's where basically the tanks are all being loaded right now to to run over ukraine's border into donetsk um but when I went there, I was in, I remember being there and looking around and just the horrifying situation that most Russians find themselves in. I mean, we're talking about at least second world, um, you know, second world situation, really a third world, a third world country in some parts of Russia. And you're talking about negative 40 degree temperatures in the winter time. And some places where I was at was you know, it, was, it would get up to 95, 100 degrees with like Ohio River Valley type humidity in it. It's a miserable place. It's not a, it's not a happy place. It's a very miserable place. I, I agree. Now, never having been there, uh, my master's and a lot of uh, my career's in Homeland Security, and people don't know that so much of this stuff is gilded. People think that China is this rock star economy they're taking over that china's back is against the wall in reality they're constantly trying to hold on to this image that they're projecting into the world russia's the same way it's 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 a destabilized region um that whole region over there not just the middle east but china and russia are both incredibly unstable and it's all about 
balancing this image of power and projecting that out into the world, but you go there, boots on the ground, and it's a hot mess, and you described it exactly right. The United States is a first world country. Everywhere you go, poor people here have access to health care and, and uh, social welfare benefits that are just not available anywhere else in the world. I mean, there's some ghetto parts of America that are really bad, you know, that like you're like, ooh, this like is, Chirac. This is kind of scary, you know, like whatever. I, I, I've driven through them but like they all have power they all have roads to them like it's yeah. not i mean i'm telling 5G you 5g internet <laughs> I, I mean they, it, it, I, a lot of a lot of it is choice with how things look in america you know it's like people people choose to live the way that they want to live but in a, in russia i mean i i lived in a place called i, I lived in a place uh called volsky and it's right outside of volgograd which is stalingrad and it's a about 45 minutes out from there. And I took a, I took a, I would take a bus out to this place called Kapustin Yar and Kapustin Yar. If, if you've heard the word Kapusta, um, uh, that means cabbage in, in Russian. It, it literally means cabbage pit. That's what, it, that's what the town's name is. And so I pull up in this bus and we get out and it looks like, so have you ever seen Borat, the first Borat? Yeah. So the village that like where they shot Borat, where it's if you remember, it's like kind of like the little huts that are all next to each other and things like that. It was worse than that. Where smaller huts, um, all dirt floors. Um, I mean, really, how they live in in Kazakhstan and and so many other places. That's um, that's how it looks, and that's how it looks in Kapustin Yar. And nobody has running water. Nobody has heat. They don't even have bathrooms. Everything everyone uses outhouses. And this is in this is in Russia, you know. And so for me, it was like, and this isn't like a small encampment. This was like a city. This was a city that literally hadn't looks like it hadn't been touched, you know, since the early 1900s for the most part. And very, very, very scary, very strange, you know, very strange to be in a place like that. I just remember looking around and and going, like, I could get killed here, and no one would ever know. No one would ever know. <laughs> like, no ever know. like, how would they ever know? You know what I mean? They would like how would they ever track me down? Like I took like some wow. random bus in the middle of nowhere and Kapustin Yar, they just throw me in the cabbage pit. I'd be dead. So it was, Yeah. but like there just isn't very many, like, I mean, obviously we have remote places in America, but there's very, very few places in America where it's like they have entire civilizations that live like that, you know, unless they forcibly choose to live like that and cut off from the world, like uh, like an Amish village or something like that. But this is how, you know, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of these settlements all across Russia, and they don't care. You know, all the money goes to Moscow, and it stays to the, the Muscovites, and and nothing actually escapes out of there. And so that's that's not far off from how things operated under under communism. It's it's the haves and have-nots, and they don't care about anyone else. They just care about the places that the outside world sees, and that's it. Oh, yeah. The oligarchs are always going to be there and they're always going to be propping up. It's, it's the same thing in North Korea. It's the same thing in in China. It's the same thing in Russia. And uh, unfortunately, it's the same thing in the United States right now because we are a powerful nation with a bustling you know, workforce and economy, but we're being led by an idiot. Uh, to Just to put it frankly, and we have our own little power play. We're pretending like the threat of the defense and intelligence apparatus that we have is still there, but we've got Millie, you know, mini skirt Millie in the Pentagon making ridiculous decisions. And uh, just, I don't even want to talk about Afghanistan, but 
sticking in ridiculous fake news, uh, communists, you know, Russia, uh, part of the issue, this is the danger of the fake news media. This is the danger of big tech controlling information and the media suppressing information and crafting a false narrative is Americans believe this stuff. Americans believe whatever, you know, siren song a politician says to them about China being our friend or Russia being our friend and about how living conditions are. Biden saying, oh, China's having their time to transform into a first world country and we need to give them their time. And it's almost like I wish, you know, Israel's got the mandatory military service. I wish Americans in public school had to spend like six months junior and six months senior year abroad. Just like really in it, like, hey, this is what goes on in Western Europe. This is what goes on in Eastern Europe. This is what Ukraine is like. And that would just elucidate so much because we live, I went to Liberty University and it's like Pleasantsville there. It's a wonderful bubble. It's awesome. There's no place like it. It's like the Disney World of universities. It's really nice. It's incredible. The, The United States is that way. This is, this is a little bit fanciful what's going on here and we need to go out like you went out and uh, my wife and I were in Dominican Republic we were there for all the 12 minutes before someone offered us cocaine you know there are cops searching people on the side of the road Uh, we need some perspective yeah I mean I think every I think there's two things that every American should have to do and I, I just decided this this last week actually three things let's put it three things one is they should have to spend at least six months, if not a year, outside this country, and and re- realistically, it should be in a former communist country, you know, like like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, just to see what kind of detrimental effects are there for decades later. Uh, the second it should be, and then you know, obviously, people without you know the comforts that America provides, it's like it's you you lose it really quickly. Um, the second thing is, I think that every high schooler before they graduate should have to spend a week trucking and delivering items in a, in a truck. And then third is I think every every American teenager should have to spend at least a week on a farm in order to graduate. And you have to spend, you just you have to do all the work, you spend all the time, you do all those things. I think you have a little bit better you know, perspective and respect for the things and where they come from and, and how blessed no, you are. No, I've not spent time on a farm. I did some work in a stable before. There you go. Take care of horses. Uh, my dad drove truck when I was young, and I went with him on the routes a couple of times. Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, no, that, that's true. Yeah, that schedule that's what, is that's nuts. What, that's what formed you, you know? So there you go. That's, uh, that's probably how you ended up. This accidental, accidental formula for success. <laughs> yeah. It's really an accident because I'm, uh, I'm from the west end of Long Island, so I should have been – Totally different. <laughs> like from New York City area. Anyway, um, man. So I I gotta I gotta touch on um you guys have just launched something. It's kind of new, it's kind of, you know, one of your new shiny toys. Um, but turning point, you guys have a bunch of groups, you have a bunch of shows, you have a bunch of, you know, probably business units you might refer to them as. Um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Turning Point Faith. I've I've just started looking into it. Uh, talk to us about what it is, and and I'm interested in how I can spread the word, uh, how people yeah. can get involved in what you're trying to do. Yeah, so I mean, I'll talk a little bit about like our bread and butter. So our field program, we have the largest field program in the country for grassroots activism. Um, right now, we have 
approximately, I think it's just over 100 full-time field reps. Uh, that's full-time out in the field. Um, and then part-time, we have about 350. And so what we do in our field program on colleges and high schools is we have a full-time rep that helps set up chapters and recruit activists on campus. And what they do is they do, you know, they invite people into the movement. Uh, we do educational events. We do speaking events. We do... Uh, we do chapter meetings, uh, we hold rallies, we do protests, we do counter protests, uh, and we're doing all those things all across the country. So this week, we had a lot on campuses, we had a lot of uh, anti-mask walkouts. I'm sure you saw some of those that were were big in the news, um, and it's particularly Illinois and California. Uh, and so those, are those, those types of things happen all across the country uh, within our activism through our field program. And so this last year, I mean, we've been we've been talking about okay, we've been focused really heavily in high school and colleges. Um, you know, our bread and butter has really been sixteen to twenty four year olds. But how can we expand further to reach younger people, even younger, and coming into junior high and even elementary school? And then how can we reach a little bit older people? And when I say old people, I mean people like me uh, that are you know really in their in their thirties and forties. Um, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, and that's. You know, I'm just again. There's a lot of people are my age that are that are our age that are starting families for the first time, and sometimes even beyond this. And so, how can yes, we start? Yes, we are them? we are not old. We're yeah. we're experienced, experienced slightly, we're slightly seasoned, or seasoned millennials. And so, the question is: is how do we how do we then engage the a little bit older crowd, meaning post college? And so, Turning Point Faith really is that answer. And so, we're actually we're not. Yeah, it's we're called Turning Point Faith because we're actually on church campuses in, in addition to high school and college campuses, uh, but we're not proselytizing. So we're not we're not necessarily preaching. Um, that's not we're not a church. We're not t- trying to tell people how to live um, necessarily, but we're there to support the churches uh, with with talking about community uh, activism and then and then also just engagement, community engagement, um, civic engagement locally, and so. Registering voters, which is what we do on, on college and high school campuses, setting up cha- chapters, and then holding events that are focused more around the faith core, um, which is, you know, we're, we're not we're not shy about faith. Uh, we're just not preaching, but we're brought, inviting in preachers uh, and pastors and church leaders and those of faith to come in and to start to talk about how their faith impacts how they're, they're, they're involved in the community. And so what does that mean? You know, we, we've set up, we have a, an event that we started doing as part of this um, that's now spread across the country called Freedom Night in America, where we're working with church pastors uh, and church leaders to host those in their churches. And, and Charlie and others and other pastors like Jack Hibbs and Pastor Rob McCoy are going out and having conversations with congregations about, you know, how, you know, how their faith impacts them and, uh, and how that affects how they view freedom and how that Im- impacts their community and civic engagement and service. Um, you know, we're going out, we're, we're setting up chapters. Uh, some of those chapters are hosting what we call biblical, biblical citizenship groups. Um, we're doing that in conjunction with, with a couple of other organizations where we're going out and actually starting to uh, teach you know, the Constitution by the Bible. Uh, which is really great, and then engaging pastors to really create a pastor network uh, that that really has never existed in the conservative movement in a really structured way before. Um, one thing that you're probably aware of and you've been involved with and seen is that we engage uh, what we call our ambassador group. 
uh, through Turning Point USA, where what we do is we, you know, those that are of influence or influencers uh, have been invited to Turning Point USA. A lot of those are younger people who are big on social media. You know, pastors are obviously, you know, outside of, you know, social media influencers and, and others in the community are they're the most impactful, most influential voices in the community. And so a lot of these pastors have never engaged other pastors or don't know who the other conservative and freedom-loving pastors are. Like, how would they know, right? So what we're doing is we're able to go out and just, you know, proactively identify these individuals, invite them to speak and preach and, and teach and share ideas and knowledge, and then bring them all together so that they can support one another. And, you know, it's never been more important than, now where the, the government's just totally trying to shut down churches over COVID and everything else and mandates. And, and so this has been a, a huge deal with us engaging uh, pastors for the first time. And we were building a network that really has never been done before within the conservative movement, engaging tens of thousands, really hundreds of thousands of new uh, members to Turning Point USA and Turning Point Faith, uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's it's just awesome, and uh, I, I'm friends with a couple of your uh, your ambassadors, and here in Northern Virginia, I'm in Loudoun, she's in Fairfax, but it's it's a 20 minute drive or so. But Lilith Vignetson, who she's got, I think she has the most viral videos of everyone I know of her like telling off a school board. Um, the the biggest one was here in Loudoun County because they were asking, you know, she's not wearing a mask and they're asking her in front of, you know, God and everyone in front of the news and, you know, what's, what's your medical condition that you have? And she's just like, are you serious? <laughs> like <laughs> That's just wildly inappropriate. Uh, yeah. So big fan of a lot of those people. I, was excited when there are a lot of emails that just go in the trash, but I get your emails. I was excited when I saw the first Turning Point Faith email show up um, by the way of announcement and then hearing Charlie kind of torn around talking about it. Now it's finally here. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and we're so excited about it. I mean, we have, so we have full-time field staff that are out supporting the States. We started with 24, um, which is, which is really huge. I mean, just to put it into perspective, uh, that's 24 full-time staff that are just there to engage members of churches all across the United States. Uh, that's going to be ramping up to 48 uh, full-time reps all across the states um, within the next two years. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's there, a big There he is again, guys. They're hiring. They're, there's a place oh, for you to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. TPUSA.com slash careers. careers. TPUSA.com slash careers. We're hiring. So if you go there. We have so many open jobs today, and and there's about there's going to be dozens of jobs opening um, actually within the next uh, within the next few weeks here too. So big deal. Yeah, Tyler's the guy. He's in the know. Uh, so definitely get on there. I'll add that. I don't know why I put some links in the description. I will add that one because I know there are a lot of fired up. Um, you know, conservatives and actually things are so bad. A lot of people that are middle of the road or left to center are supporting a lot of these groups um, just because of how flagrantly bad things are right now. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. I'll add that once the stream is over, probably within an hour, um, tpusa.com slash careers. Definitely check that out. Uh, so you're, 
this is kind of the new shiny thing at Turning Point. So you're in churches. These these 24 field reps are probably getting a lot of good conversations and data points. What's you know, there are a lot of believers and a lot of followers of a lot of different uh, faith groups that listen to this podcast, particularly on the on the podcast side, not here on Rumble and YouTube. What are some some common themes or some difficulties running in to churches? Because there, I've throughout COVID, I've gone to two churches. Not because we canceled the church, we just moved. We moved from Maryland to back to Virginia. Um, but what are, what are some of the things that you're hearing from the reps or when you're in these these different uh, churches, some of the difficulties reaching congregants or something that they're fired up about? Yeah, I mean, like the biggest thing right now is like I think most people are just totally scared and rightfully so of losing their their religious liberty. I mean, no one's ever seen any kind of attack like this COVID attack and the mandate attack we've ever seen before right and so literally i mean you've seen it you've seen it on the east coast on the west coast um california in particular they just like shut down churches they just like told them they could they, they were inoperable oh, yeah. and bars good liquor store good strip club open church too yeah, dangerous church, and so i mean look i if you're i, I don't want to get too much in the weeds but if you're a, a student of uh the russian revolution as i was in the soviet era you know, what happened? You know, how did, how were they able to implement, you know, a Marxist ideology? Well, it started with World War One, right? Everybody was gone for World War One, So all the military was gone. And so if they can get the military out of, you know, because why? Those were the guys that had the, had the weapons at the time. Those were the guys, those were the men that had, so, you know, the Marxists waited for World War One. They were gone. And then two, they imprisoned and they they abused all the business owners. And so that was where, you know, there was a lot of anti-Jewish rhetoric and a lot of um, just anti-business rhetoric in general of like that, again, the the us versus them, the workers of the world unite, you know, proletariat, you know, type conversations where they were, you know, they were they're talking about like, hey, these guys, why do these guys yeah, you know, why are they able to tell us how much money? So, you know, that that battle's been going on for years. I mean, look, and we've just completely given up. Conservatives have just given up. And look at where minimum wages and minimum wage laws are at with so many of these different places. You know, we've just we've just let the commies win. And then the third is um uh, the third is uh the religious. And so in Russia, the Orthodox Church was the only church that that really operated in Russia because of this, the history that was there with the Russian Orthodox church. And, and the, when the Orthodox church just like gave up, they didn't, uh, they didn't do anything. They just, they just kind of rolled over and died. Um, you know, there was nothing left. There were no conservatives to fight, you know, the, the Bolsheviks. And so what's happening now today, you know, and, uh, that, and going back with the Orthodox Church, they, they shut down the churches, right? They just came in and they said, hey, we're going to take these over. And they were like, okay, just don't hurt us. Um, and so here in America, yeah, we've seen this battle on, 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 the, on the businesses. Uh, they want to take our guns away for obvious reasons. They, they would love to get the military, you know, in the weakest point that it possibly can be. And they're going after the churches and they would love to see the churches shut down. They would love to see fewer people go in and for, you know, pastors and priests and and church leaders just to roll over and just you know give up to the state and there's a lot that have in, in america today 
And so this is the three-pronged attack that Marxists uh, approach in order to take over your country. And we're under these battles every single day. And if we choose not to fight, we're going to end up just like the Russians did in the Russian Revolution. And 1917 is going to become 2022 or 2025 or 2027 or whatever it's going to be. So the big lie there is if we ignore it, if we put the security blanket over our head or whatever, it just goes away. And I think the conservative base operated under that false assumption. And guys, that is a dangerous game because as we've seen, the party of fight the power, rage against the machine is the machine now. They took over the institutions and we woke up one day and it's like, oh, all of the Fortune 500, 100 companies are run by these, not liberals, but like radical, progressive, far leftists. Uh, the military's leadership has been gutted. And really one of the dangerous markers is Obama. When he got into office, there were a thousand senior executive service members, you know, which is yeah. like, uh, director level people in the federal government, uh, director, deputy director, chief of staff type level, when he added 6,000. So when he left, there were 7,000 Obama appointees. So we, get, we can't be under the security blanket because just like you said, 1917 reincarnate is what's on the other side. That That's where, and we're pretty much there in so many ways, right? I mean, Look, I mean, the truth is, is we're in a good spot in America because it's really hard to shut down the churches and we're so diversified church-wise that it's just so hard. We've been, we're a religious society. We have been forever. And so, but that's how they want to break us, right? They want, I think, you know, like the Orthodox Church was so was so weak at the time that they had no guts to stand up and fight. And it was one church and so it was easy to topple. But we all have to stand. And so all of us that are religious, and it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or you're, you're evangelical Christian or you're Catholic or you're Mormon or whatever else, like you got to step, step up and you got to defend your faith. Because I, I'm telling you, the moment we do, the moment we give up, it's the moment we wake up and we realize that we've, we've turned ourselves over to the government. And, you know, that's the scary part is right now is like, I actually believe that the Marxists, you know, if you follow that line of thinking and not to scare anyone, but if you follow that line of thinking, you know, it, it makes it easy to believe that the Marxists want to send us to war, right? Because they want to send conservatives to war. They want us to go to war with, with a, a Russia, right? They want us to go to war with in the Middle East. They want, they want those things. And so, you know, it's not a ha-ha funny. And this is part of the reason why I think, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm liberty-oriented, but... You know, there's a, there's a lot of conservative principles that you know I disagree with some some libertarians on, but you know the the reason why I'm libertarian isn't just because I'm I'm anti-war or I just like don't think that we should be fighting wars that are, have nothing to do with America, but it's because I don't think we should be sending male bodies um, that are conservative bodies for the most part away from home when we should be defending. We have to defend against enemies foreign and domestic, and we have enemies domestically. You know, we have. An enemy, I think, in the White House that's domestic that that doesn't that doesn't treat and view America the same way that you and I do, and that's and that's scary. We have a vice president that is basically an outward pseudo commie, and that's like that's not okay. Like we have we have something to defend here now, and we we have to. We have for a long time, actually, because as charismatic as he was and as popular as he was, Obama was so brazen about it because he. He championed that we are going to tear down this institution and create it anew. Yep. And that is, I mean, when you talk about dangerous rhetoric, 
that's even if that's your vision, like, you know, maybe we're back in the civil rights era yep. and it's like, well, actually, yeah, we, we need to radically change some things. Messaging is very important. That's why there's a lot of money spent in campaigns. There's a lot of money spent on the Hill in messaging and communications. And Absolutely. I mean, they, yeah. yep. they can't be more clear that when, when they say we want to just tear down and we want to, we want to kill the United States and make something else. It's absurd. Uh, so speaking of dysfunctional, speaking of absurd, uh, we, we've got to get our house in order. And I've, I've stopped calling myself Republican and, and kind of supplanted that with conservative. You know, I'm a constitutional conservative. That usually manifests in me voting for the guy or the gal with the R next to their name. Um, you know, this guy, Yunkin and uh, Winsome Sears and... Uh, but we, we got to talk about the party, the future of the party. We got to talk about, uh, the, the dysfunctional RNC, uh, you know, the NRCC, NRSC, uh, but really just RNC. And you obviously have a unique perspective because you're a member of <laughs> the RNC, um, uh, but I'm really curious about your thoughts, uh, and I know that you've done some exciting work there to bring the institution into the the future. There's something happening in this conservative movement that is changing the party, and I do think that there's an important faction being represented now in the RNC that hasn't been there for a long time in you, in other young constitutional conservatives and the libertarians that are hanging around. Um, and we see it in the data. I actually, I, there are a lot of people from the RNC at my work uh, that come from there. Um, so we see it in the data. I'm sure you see it in the conversations even that happen. Um, so anyway, this is super broad, but thoughts, thoughts on the future of the party and, and our institution building that we need to do. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, most people don't even know how the RNC works. Uh, so I'm I'm the national committeeman for the Republican National Committee from Arizona. Um, so how it works is that every state has one dude and one girl that represents each state, um, and then every territory as well. And so those are the individuals that get together and they make all the decisions for how the national party spends its money and they elect the chair, you know, and they, and they move forward. And so some of us are, are conservative. Some of us are, you know, what I would consider to be a rhino or a, you know, somebody that's like pretty moderate or establishment. Um, I, I think everyone thinks, Oh, the RNC, they come up with the party platform. It's like, well, yeah, but there's a lot, like you're talking about now, there's a lot vision and strategy for each well, of these states, for all of these races, for all of these pots of money. Like there's more than, oh, they get together and they come up with, with the party line and they put it out and they're done. So they, yeah, they're responsible for a number of different things. Uh, a lot of things that are pretty obvious, but you just don't think about. The party platform is the RNC's responsibility to get done every four years. They didn't do that this last time around. They just readopted the other one and blame COVID. Um, they put together the convention every four years, the RNC convention, where we nominate our president and vice president uh, for the party, uh, also handle all the debates that are related to that, obviously the financing. Uh, they also work 
hand in hand with individual states on state-based issues, obviously fundraising, funding, uh, finding candidates, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot that's there, lots to unpack, but you know, the way I kind of describe it, I mean, there's a lot of staff that work in the, the RNC and uh, at the national level, and most people are, are really great, but the party, I mean, has changed years. You only get elected once every four years. So I'm in a four-year term. I've, I've served out just over a year on that term. And I've got three more years basically to go. And my job is to is to basically represent the state of Arizona and help push the Republican Party again in a new direction now. But I'm like like the youngest guy in the RNC, like by a lot. You know, there's very few even 40-something year olds or uh, and, and early 50-year-olds. Most people are in their late 50s, 60s, 70s, some 80-year-olds, um, even beyond that. And some of these people have been on the RNC since since George H.W. Bush was president. Uh, some of these guys are, are you know, Bush lackeys. And so you've got a party that, I, the way I describe it is out of those members from each state, you've got about a third, I think, that are our constitutional conservatives that were elected just kind of recently in this last election cycle and replacing a lot. You've got a third that are like really old school establishment guys. And you've got a third that's just kind of like squishy middle that will kind of go wherever, you know, either the, whoever it seems like is winning. And so this last, uh, this last meeting, we actually just were in Salt Lake city and there was a vote to, uh, you might've heard about this to censure, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and it passed overwhelmingly. It wasn't even close. Um, and I think people just like stood back. It's the first time in history that the RNC has done really anything like it. Um, and so it really pissed off the establishment for sure. But like even the the more establishment guys on the RNC, they, there's nothing they could do, right? Like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are out of control, right? They just like they're out of control. And so um, so, you know, everybody kind of had to join in on it, but they were not happy about it. It's very unique and very different, but there's, I came home and the grassroots is like, this is, this is awesome. Like I've never seen the RNC doing it. I actually trust the RNC a little bit more now. I might actually think about giving the RNC some money. And so, um, uh, it's amazing what happens when you, when you do what the grassroots what wants. And I, I believe that the grassroots should be the voice of the party. That's, that's kind of who I, that's who I represent when I go. And so it's not about me. It's about like what the grassroots wants in my state. And, and that's, that's a tough thing for a lot of people to do. So. Yeah, I definitely, uh, if you are a conservative, if you're an apolitical person, that's just kind of COVID made politics important to you. COVID brought liberty and freedom and your rights to your attention. Um, then definitely when you're on your journey learning about things, learning about these candidates, learning about the power of school board, boards and boards of supervisors, town council, all of that stuff, um, check out the RNC and, and how it manifests in your life because it does. You Just like you're just noticing, oh, the government actually does have some bearing on what's going on in my daily life, mm -hmm. which is not what this government was set up to. I say it all the time. Washington said it in a farewell, the benign influence of good laws under a free government. Yep. We do not have that right now in the United States. Something has gone awry. <laughs> the emperor has no clothes, whatever pithy thing you want to say that is, that's the case. Uh, so 
that's all that I wanted to talk to you about tonight, man. It's it's been an awesome time. Um, you know, I just realized I used to ask all my guests this, and I haven't been doing it for a while. Um, but uh, we got a couple minutes, so you seem like a, a book reader. I'm gonna throw it out there. If you could snap your fingers, everyone on Earth has will have read and understood one book, uh, and it can't be like. Uh, it can't be an official book of faith because all Christians would pick Bible, all uh, you know, Mormons would pick Book of Mormon, Muslims would pick the Quran. But if you could just get everyone on earth, man, woman, and child, to read and understand one book, uh, what would you pick and, and why? Oh man, I have so many books. Um, I brought I brought one up to you earlier that so there's three books that I, I promote and they're actually on my Twitter profile. So in case you miss them, you can go to my Twitter and you can look at it. It's just at Tyler Boyer. But um, is the first one is social needs in, in the first circle or the first circle. Um, and that's, that's really telling the, 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 the disparity uh, in uh, fictional form about what life was like within the Soviet Union for those who, how to live in the oppressive regime of the Soviet Union. The second is Kafka's The Trial. Uh, and the third is, is one that's really interesting that just is looking at the, the silliness of, of communism, which is Bulgakov's Heart of a Dog, The Heart of a Dog. Um, I, I strongly recommend, it's, it's actually a pretty light read. Uh, it's something very interesting, but it'll give you some, some looks. If you like 1984, if you like Animal Farm, uh, that type of writing, uh, it is really interesting to think about, um, you know, how the silly the the world of communism really is. And I appreciate the writers that lived under, you know, the communist regimes and had to, you know, write against the oppressive regime. Uh, I think it's it, it admitted, like I think some of the most important literature I think within the 20th century. Uh, outside of that is I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. Um, and so if you haven't spent any time, uh, you know, obviously screw tape letters, um, from C.S. Lewis is, I think is one of the most, one of the most impactful things that you can read, uh, in our lifetime. And so I, I highly, I highly recommend spending that time. If you can't read the Bible, you know, C.S. Lewis is probably a good second. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So, what can we what can we do to end this with the bang? So, uh definitely follow Tyler like you said it's at Tyler Boyer on Twitter um on other social as well. Um I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, "Man, where did Joe get that hella awesome shirt? That one the currently wearing uh, Joe Biden, one star, would not recommend. Now, a couple of things about that. <laughs> I would give him zero stars, but when you put zero stars on the shirt, it was confusing. It was like, is it five stars? It looks or- like five stars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, guys, it's thejoemobileshow.com slash shop. It's a way that you can support the show and help uh, us to produce and edit and, and make more awesome interviews like this one. Um, so... So much support from all of you throughout the last year and a half. Um, originally just in podcast form, but recently on YouTube, the YouTube community has really like stepped up and, and meant a lot. And but here's the thing: we just we can't make it on YouTube, and this is why because we can't say things like masks don't work. They don't. 
We can't say things like the vaccine's not safe and effective. It's not. Uh, we can't say things like Joe Biden is the worst, most incompetent president that's ever existed. He probably has dementia and several other uh, 25th Amendment. And he lost the election. Yeah, we can't say that. It, it is obvious. Here, here's a thought experiment. I knew you you could be like close with Trump or Hillary because there was Hillary crap all over the place, bumper stickers and stuff. I've seen more Bernie Sanders bumper stickers than Joe Biden. But just think about, I mean, you know, and, and Virginia is supposedly a blue state. It's purple at best, but it's supposedly a blue state. And guys, I live at the seat of liberalism, all right? 10 miles out of D.C., you know, or, or 10 miles, whatever it is. I live in Loudoun County, so, you know, we could throw a rock and hit D.C. It It is the seat of liberal just trash here. And here there were no Terry McAuliffe stickers. There were no Biden stickers. There were no signs, nothing. I tried to make a funny TikTok at Target, um, you know, confronting Biden voters to ask them why they voted for Biden. The problem was there weren't any. And the six people that did vote for him said never again. And I, I got it on video, you know, as the internet says, I got the receipts. Like it's, it's a thing. Um, yeah, he lost the, that's just an, it's just, it's an obvious thing because we're not allowed to see the ballots. Yep. And yep. that's called a clue, folks. Uh, so these are the reasons that we're leaving YouTube. Also, any one of those things, just uttering the words, they take you down. And, and you, you just got to realize that if what you're saying is true, or if what you're saying is a lie, then, then they would have no reason to be so forceful, so vehemently opposed that they have to censor it. All right? Uh, so that's what we call clues. Um, support the show, uh, follow Tyler, follow Turning Point. Oh, I meant to throw the website back up there. You guys know what it is. It's tpusa.com. Uh, we got tpusa.com slash events, uh, slash careers. If you're looking for a job, uh, just tell me, you know, Tyler, no, I just, just kidding. Uh, come on down and we want you at Turning Point USA too. We hope you'll, you'll join tpusa.com slash get involved. Uh, yes. you can get involved at your church. Uh, on your college or high school campus, or if you have kids or grandkids at your high school campus or our college campus, we want you and, and you yourself at church. Um, we will get one of our staff involved very quickly to reach out to your pastor and hopefully start something at your church or work in conjunction with members at your church. And so that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, thanks again for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. It's a, thank you for all you're doing in your state, I know that you want to escape to a different state potentially, but you know things are looking okay. I, I'm in the fight. I'm in the the fight in the for fight. Virginia. We appreciate that for for you and your family. And and I mean, look, it's a we got a we got a beautiful war ahead of us, and it's it's fighters like you that we we're we're really grateful for. So keep up the hustle, all right, my man. Awesome. Well, Tyler, thanks for joining us, and we will catch you guys in the next one.
Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.